The middle of the day is more than just uncomfortably hot. It's the worst time of day to be out. She's tired of dealing with it, and she just wants a drink of water. So she thinks, certainly at this time of day, no one will be there. So she heads for the well. She approaches, and she thinks, great, a man, someone else to judge me, look down on me, and remind me yet again of what my life has been. As she gets closer, she realizes it's even worse. It's a Jewish man. You see, Samaritans don't like Jews, and Jews don't like Samaritans. She just doesn't need this. But she wants a drink. So she approaches, hoping to take care of business and leave without an awkward conversation. Her hopes are dashed when out of nowhere he says, give me a drink. Her awkward thoughts race. Great. He wants to talk now. What on earth is he talking to me for anyway? Doesn't he know we don't interact? Jews don't even use our utensils, let alone our water pots. So she says it out loud, part all along. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? He responds, oh, if you knew who you were talking to, you would be asking for water on a whole different level because I can give you living water. She's confused now. This well happens to be Jacob's well, which was dug thousands of years before this. And so she thinks, are you saying that you're greater than all of our ancestors and you have better water? She probably thinks like a Jew to think that. He says, this water quenches thirst for good. So she says, well, give me this water so I don't have to come back to this well. Then he tells her, go get your husband. At this point, she's probably thinking of all the places in my life that he could ask about. He has to go there. She has to say it. I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five. And the guy you're with now, he's not your husband. Now she's in shock. Because in a matter of moments, this man has looked at her differently, talked to her differently, and offered her different things than she's ever been offered. Let's pause the story here for, for just a second and consider what this woman's life would have been like. For starters, we need a little bit of insight into marriage in that culture at that time. You see, she probably wouldn't have even been numbered as a citizen in a, in a, in a census without being tied to a husband. Marriage was vital to her existence in society. So she gets married. Then she gets disappointed and ultimately rejected. Maybe it was her fault, but perhaps it wasn't. Five times 
her life would have gone through a similar cycle. She meets a man, so there's hope. She's excited. But then there's disappointment. What happens in the marriage, we don't know. There's disappointment. And then ultimately it falls apart. Rejection. Hope, disappointment, 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 rejection. Five times. And now she's with a man who's not her husband. Her neighbors would have been aware of her. She was no doubt avoided by many people, probably subject to ridicule and gossip. And her life has been dominated by brokenness, failure, hurt, and rejection, and all of the things that come with that. Whose fault was it? Was it hers? Was it her husband's? Jesus doesn't even go there. What Jesus says is, I can give you living water. Jesus didn't treat her like everyone else. He saw what others did not see. He believed what others didn't believe. And he said things that others didn't say. So Jesus was ready to offer this woman something different than the world was offering. And she knew it. At this point, she realizes who she's talking with, and she can't contain her excitement. The text says in verse 28, she left her water pot. She was so excited to go tell everybody about Jesus that she forgot about being thirsty in the first place, and she ran to tell them. And when she gets there, all she can say is, you have got to come see this man. You've got to come see this man who told me everything I have done. That's how excited she is. He knew everything about her, and he treated her in ways that nobody else had ever treated her before. It was a different experience, and she couldn't wait to tell everybody. She didn't have all the answers. She probably didn't even know what questions to ask, but she knew somebody who did. And all she could do was tell the whole city, Come and see. Come and see the man who told me everything I have done. Every one of us <clears throat> has been where this woman was in some way, shape, fashion, or form. Our specific issues and struggles may not be identical, but the result is no different. We have at some point experienced that cycle, that cycle of hope, disappointment, and rejection. Sometimes it's because of our own shortcomings. Perhaps often it's because of our own shortcomings and failures. But sometimes it's just life. And just like the Samaritan woman who went to the well in the heat of the day to get a drink, Jesus offers us something that transcends our disappointments, transcends our failures, transcends our rejections and all of the things that go with that. From this encounter, 
in John chapter 4 today and throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, we can see Jesus for who he really is. And we can be inspired by the eternal hope and eternal satisfaction that only he can offer. As we've already noted with the woman at the well, you see, Jesus sees what others cannot see. Everyone in this woman's society saw her past. They saw her brokenness. They saw her failures, and they ultimately saw someone to simply avoid. She wasn't worth their time of day, but Jesus saw her value. Jesus saw her future potential, and the result is immediate. Because she goes on, because of what Jesus sees in her, she goes on to become the best good news teller that we read about in John's gospel. What does Jesus see in you? He sees what you are creating. He sees your true value. So much so that you are worth his life. Jesus sees your future. He sees your future as his child, as a child of God, a citizen of the kingdom, a difference maker in this world for him. We see our past and our unworthiness, but Jesus sees our potential and he sees our true worth. But Jesus does more than just observe this. He truly believes in you and he believes in what you can be. You see, Jesus believes what others don't believe. A Samaritan woman goes to a well on a hot day, no doubt to avoid everyone else who believes she's an unworthy failure, but Jesus believes she was worthy of eternal life. Jesus looked at fishermen, and he believed they'd be great leaders, and they were. Society believed they were outcasts, but Jesus believed they could change the world, and they did. Jesus believes others. In John chapter 11, we read the story of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus's, and, and he got sick. And he wasn't, he, he wasn't far away from where Jesus was. And so some mutual friends of there, Mary and Martha, they call to Jesus because they know Jesus can heal Lazarus. But Jesus doesn't go. He waits. Well, Lazarus died. And of course, they're calling for him to come, and he still waits. And Lazarus is buried, and Jesus is still waiting, and he finally goes. And Jesus tells Mary and Martha, he says, well, Lazarus will live again. And Martha replies, I know he'll rise again on the last day. You see, Martha made it clear that she believed. She makes that clear in 11 and verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She even says the words right about her belief in Jesus. However, her belief had a three-day limit. <laughs> because when they go to the tomb, Jesus says, remove the stone. What does Martha say in response? She says, but Lord, he's been dead for four days. He will be rotten. At this point, Jesus just goes ahead and commands Lazarus to rise from the dead. You see, Mary and Martha believed the dead were rotten. Jesus believed the rotten could live. 
Sin does the same thing to us that death was doing to Lazarus. It causes a humanly irreversible rot and decay. And this often makes us feel as though our struggles and failures can't be healed. But when we believe in Jesus, Jesus knows the rotten can live. But you know, Jesus goes beyond just seeing and believing. He says it. Jesus says things that others did not say. In his encounter with the Samaritan woman, Jesus says, I can give you water that will not only quench your thirst, but you will become to others a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's like Jesus is saying, I have a permanent cure, a cure that will not only satisfy your soul's thirst, but will give you what you need to satisfy others. Two chapters later in John, Jesus builds on this more because he will go on to say he not only quenches thirst, but he satisfies hunger. He says in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. When Jesus is saying that, he's saying I offer real food, not just junk food. I don't know about any of the rest of you, but I absolutely love junk food. I love things that you would probably not consider to be super healthy. For instance, pancakes. Oh man, I see this and I just want to wrap it up and let's go to Red Zone. Let's get some pancakes. And I could eat a whole stack of pancakes. And theirs are good. The breakfast house over on Milwaukee got this huge pancake, like this big around, man, it's good. But I have noticed something about foods like that. I eat pancakes, and I'm not kidding you, 30 minutes, I'm stuffed. I mean, I'm just, I can't move, and 30 minutes later, I'm starving. Junk food does not truly satisfy it doesn't, it, do, it doesn't nourish, it doesn't satisfy, and it ultimately doesn't fix your hunger. The world offers junk food. When we think spiritually and emotionally, the world offers a whole lot of junk food. Just spend a little time on social media and you quickly see it by what gets shared and what comes across your feed and things like this. This food fuels temptation, fuels anger, it fuels divisiveness, causes us to do things we shouldn't do, and it's addictive. And all it does is make things worse. It doesn't actually make things better. Like the pancakes from Red Zone, they're going to go to the wrong places like this. And that's what junk food of the world does. You see, Jesus offers something different. Jesus offers food that satisfies the soul, and it leads to life. And he offers it to everyone who will take it. Well, in John 6, back in John 6, after Jesus explains this further, after he explains himself as a bread of life further, 
The crowd that was with him that day, a lot of them start to leave. They just wanted a snack. And they start to leave. And he turns to Peter, who's right by him, and he, and he says, Peter, so are you, you going to leave too? And Peter's answer captures this better than anything else. He looks at Jesus and he said, well, Lord, where would I go? To whom would I go? You have the words of eternal life. <clears throat> We're inundated with things in the world that, that tell us or make us think and say things like, I'm not worthy. I'm too far gone to be saved. I'm not good enough. That's the junk food talking. Jesus says, I will give you eternal life. That's what he says. So Jesus sees our value. He sees our potential. He believes the rotten can live. He says, I will give you eternal life. But if we wish to fully see Jesus, there's a fourth thing that we must explore. And this is probably the key element about him that gives us life. It's what we hang our hope on. And that's the fact that Jesus has done what no one else could do. We have two unsolvable problems as humans. Every one of us. Two things that we have no way of dealing with. We can't fix our past and we can't avoid death. But Jesus did something that no one else could do that remedies both of these problems. The woman at the well couldn't fix her past and her sins were worthy of death. My sins are worthy of death. Your sins are worthy of death. Death is the unavoidable penalty of sin, and everyone is guilty. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Jesus, because he sees what others don't see, because he believes what others don't believe, says, I will pay the death penalty for you. And in doing so, he did something that no one else could do. He paid the price for our past and gave us the hope of an eternal future. Because he sees our potential over our failure and brokenness, he counted us worthy of offering a chance at eternal life. For you and for me, Jesus came to this earth. He lived for 30 plus years so that we could see him for who he really was. He was arrested. He was crucified on a Roman cross. They put him in a tomb thinking they had won. But three days later, he proved them wrong. And he spent 40 days on earth to just prove the fact that he had risen from the dead. Then he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is seated on the throne as King Jesus. Today, if you're ready to come see him, we would be absolutely honored to help connect you with him. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And during that time, if you want to see Jesus, you can come. And we can connect you with him in the waters of baptism where your sins will be washed away. There'll be elders up here who can help you do that if you so desire. Maybe you've never heard this before. 
and you just want to talk to someone. Maybe you just want to ask questions. Well, I can assure you that we don't have all the answers and we don't claim to, but Jesus does. Maybe you are already in a relationship with Jesus, but the junk food of the world is getting the best of you. Maybe it's returning you to that awful cycle of hope, disappointment, and rejection. And maybe you feel your past is just too big to fix. When we see Jesus, we see it in about our past. He sees your value. He sees your potential. He believes the dead can live. He says, I will give you eternal life. I will take care of your past. Let him take you where you are today and do with you what only he can do. Come and see Jesus as we stand and as we sing.